Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you would grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 is where our text is for this morning's lesson. We continue our series, Basic Christianity, walking through and utilizing the book of Ephesians as the means whereby we come to know just the, the basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. This morning, let's read Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the true and living God. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let us pray. Lord God, help us, because we are finite creatures, and what you have revealed through the apostle, what has been recorded here for us today, is breathtaking and staggering in its scope, but give us a glimpse of your glory through this word, we pray, amen. Growing up, I was a fan of the TV show. Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> Remember that television program? Each episode, Robert Stack would narrate the story. He was the guy who was running it at that time. And he would uh, narrate and tell the story. And each story ranged from the paranormal to supernatural to missing persons, UFOs, ghosts, uh, kidnappings, unexplained disappearances. Sometimes there would be an episode that would update a previous unsolved mystery. Sometimes the mystery was solved, and they would give a little update. But many of those stories remain unsolved even to today. We humans have unsolved mysteries because of a lack of knowledge. Something is uh, unexplained, or the reason for something is, is not known. And so uh, we have 
an unsolved mystery. And for long ages, says our text, for a long time, the eternal purpose of God was hidden, it was kept secret, it was an unsolved mystery. But now, Paul is at pains to emphasize, God has revealed, God has made known the mystery of His will. This echoes what we saw back in chapter 1 and verse 9, how God is making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. Now we have an extended discussion as well as a definition of what that mystery of God's will is. Here in verse 6 of chapter 3, this mystery is, ready, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It was once an unsolved mystery. Here's the update. It's been solved. And it is none other than God himself who has revealed to us what was kept hidden for so long. And the church, as Paul says here, is in the unique position and privilege of making known God's manifold wisdom to all creation. You see, we are to share the gospel prolifically with all people everywhere that we come in contact with. But then also, there's this other layer where as we live our lives according to the gospel, according to the lordship of Christ, we are communicating something to the unseen realm, to, as Paul says, rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And, and as you see the progression here, Paul, first of all, has the mystery revealed to him, and he writes it and he makes it known to these fellow Christians. And then he says, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing to light for everyone the plan, the mystery, but then also we're putting on display this manifold wisdom of God for all of creation, including the unseen realm. See, just the, the scope of this, again, is it's staggering. And so Paul begins here, verse 1. Let's just walk through this text for a little bit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, this is what my English standard says, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, literally, uh, this could be translated as the prisoner, as if there's uh, no other. There were other prisoners for the Lord, uh, other prisoners in Rome, and uh, locked up because of the gospel and that sort of thing. But Paul here, notice how he talks about himself. First of all, he is the prisoner for Christ Jesus. Or, or even it could be understood as his imprisonment is by Christ Jesus. He's been... He's been uh, grabbed hold of and captured by the Lord Jesus. And, and that explains why he is in chains even at this point in his ministry. He was, it was because he was preaching the gospel on behalf of you Gentiles. To the Gentiles he was preaching the gospel. That, that's what got him into prison in the first place. Now, we read this in connection with verse 7. Ephesians 3, 7, of this gospel I was made, notice, a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So he not only identifies himself as a prisoner, the prisoner for Christ, he's also a minister. And in fact, we get our English word deacon from the term that's used here, diakonos, 
you hear it there, right? Deacon. And he is a servant for the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. But I also want you to see, make the connection here between verse 2 and that phrase in verse 7. According to the gift of God's grace, this corresponds to verse 2, the stewardship of God's grace. That everything that Paul is and everything that Paul does is according to the grace of God, and he identifies himself as a steward, a manager. He exercises oversight of this grace that has been given to him. And let me just say for us today, brothers and sisters, it is still by the grace of God, according to God's uh, gift of grace, that we have, number one, our work for the kingdom that we are currently employed in, and also it is according to the grace of the gift of God's grace that we carry out our ministry for the glory of God. I mean, think about it. What is it, what is it we're trying to do when it comes to our service to the, to the Lord? Is it just that we're just trying to survive, as it were? Well, we made it through another tritacular event. Whew. Just surviving, or are we, we intended to thrive in that, and it is—it's a, a joy to serve in the kingdom of God. It's all in how you look at it. One writer put it this way: One man will regard his prison as a penance; another man will regard it as a privilege. When we are undergoing hardship, unpopularity, material loss for the sake of Christian principles, we can either regard ourselves as the victims of men or as the champions of Christ. Our point of view will make all the difference. Still true today. That's still the case for us today. Are we just victims? We have a victim mentality? We're victims of, of people or of a system? That's a big topic these days, right? Or are we more than overcomers in Christ Jesus? It's all in how we look at it. We need to prefer the latter. So Paul, all of this is from God's grace given to him. But notice, we are conduits of grace. It's God's gift of grace, uh, the, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, verse 2, for you, for the Gentiles. And, and that's the case for us today. The grace that we've been given, it's, we're supposed to be these conduits of grace for others, those who are around us. We've been entrusted with that grace like Paul, and, and now it's as if we are um, dispensing God's grace to others. This is a, a picture of evangelism as well. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Uh, that's how Paul got this. Was it, it, was, it was revealed to him. We can think of in Paul's life, say in Acts 26, he talks about how it was on the road to Damascus that Jesus revealed to him, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Uh, and, and so uh, that's, that's the nature of revelation. Something that was covered now has been revealed. It's been uncovered, right? Uh, and so this mystery, it was, uh, he'll say, it was kept hidden for a long time, but now it has been made known to him, and he's making it known to everyone. And although, brothers and sisters, we may not have had a Damascus Road experience, bright light that blinded us and all that, nevertheless, we have been entrusted with this same mystery, that, that people from all nations and all ethnicities, the things that we've talked about in chapter 2, how, how the nations come streaming into the kingdom as we make known 
the mystery of the gospel. It's no longer a mystery. We know what it is now because God has revealed it. That his intention for the nations is that they would come and seek him out and live according to his word and, and his law. Notice this. We think about mystery, right? It's maybe something obscure, a little difficult to understand. And yet Paul says, verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul will, he just said, I've written briefly. You know, part of us maybe wishes, I'll write a bit more, right? But he's written briefly, and, and, and it's sufficient. What Paul has written is sufficient for us to understand and perceive his insight into the mystery of Christ. This principle here is that God's word is un- understandable. It's not a locked box, and, and you have to go to, to someone, you have to come to me in, in order to uh, have God's word made known to you. you. You have your Bible. You have your own copy. You have it on your device. You have it on wherever, right? And, and it's intended. God gave it so that you can understand it. You can read and understand it. That's the nature of God's word. Uh, this speaks to uh, what others have called the perspicuity of Scripture. It's clear. It's a clear revelation for us, brothers and sisters. And so, uh, again, I want to encourage you, take up the book of the Lord to read. And when you read, you can understand. Now, verse 5 is uh, very interesting here because Paul says, it was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. There's a sense. Those of you who uh, are of a certain age, you will remember the Jewel Miller film strip. Right? And, and you'll recall that uh, in that film strip, they divided up time according to dispensations. And so you had the, what, the, the starlight phase and then the moonlight phase, and then you had the sun dispensation, right? And so the starlight, it, that was the time of the patriarchs, and they only had glimpses of revelation. You know, you had the promise that was given to Abram and then to Abraham that he went years just with that word. And then you had the, the moonlight, which was the, the time of Moses and the nation of Israel when they had the law given to them by God. And, and now we live under the new covenant, which is we've got the full brightness of the sun. Right? Remember this? I, I think about that when I think about what Paul writes here, that it was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed. There were glimpses and glimmers under the old covenant where they had just, again, flashes here and there. And so you had Moses, uh, excuse me, Abraham with the promise, and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs. They had some revelation from God. And, but but uh, again, it, it just it wasn't a full revelation. Even all the way back with Adam, uh, he had the, the promise that was given to him by God that there would be one who would come who would crush the head of the serpent, right? And then you come to Moses, and you have the law given, but there's, oh, there's that promise that God was going to raise up a prophet greater than Moses. Hmm. And then all the prophets throughout uh, history who ha- they spoke for God, and they had glimpses of this one who was coming, who would uh, die on behalf of the people and would be raised, uh, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, texts all over the Old Testament where again, you have these glimpses and glimmers of what was coming. So, so they had some revelation, but it was a mystery. It was a mystery. So 
But now, God, through the holy apostles and prophets, by the Spirit, there's the revelation factor, it's made known. It's, it's, it's fully been revealed. It's no longer this unsolved mystery. Now we have the, the full revelation. All throughout history, God has been making known in bits and glimmers and glimpses, but now we have the full light shining. And again, I, I emphasize this because, again, there were those promises, those words. You get them every now and again in, in the Old Testament. That God always had this intention for the nations. For example, in Isaiah 49, in verse 6, God says here to His people, He says, It is too light a thing for you. It is, it is too light... Excuse me. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. See, part of what Israel was to do was they were to steward God's word and his law to the nations. They were to be a light, a beacon for the nations. Now, they fell down on the job when it came to that, but... There's also embedded here, Isaiah 49 is part of a larger section of Isaiah about this servant who would come, who would do this fantastic work on behalf of not only his people, but also of the nations, the Gentiles. And then he would bring salvation to the ends. Oh, oh, that's what Christ does. And that's what Paul is saying here. When Christ came and lived the sinless life and died on the cross and was buried and was raised from the dead and was ascended to God's right hand, this is all God now accomplishing what he had promised all those years through the Old Testament scriptures. And all this was so that, verse 6, um, my English standard doesn't accentuate this as much as, say, like the New International Version, where it talks about that they, the Gentiles are heirs together, that they are members together, that they are sharers Together, 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 together. That's what it was always about. Was God, yes, he, he had his people, he had the nation of Israel, but there was always the intention, and now that has been realized in Christ to bring the nations together with them. That's what we saw all throughout the end of chapter 2. Reconciling both into one body and that one body to God in Christ Jesus. This has always been the divine intention. And now, through the gospel, God has realized this. And by the way, it is always through the gospel, even today, that people are reconciled to God. It is through the gospel that, that we have come to be reconciled to God. That's how anybody will be reconciled to God. And, and part of this is, you know, we, we come together and we are reminded about the gospel, the good news, and how it is good news for us. But what happens here is, is you, you receive God's word, and the rest of the week, you're supposed to unwrap that gift that God has given you. And you're supposed to put it to use throughout the week as a Christian. You're supposed to live according to that. Now, let's look at verses uh, 7 and 8 here. You see, God, he's, he's made known this mystery. We know what it is. Clearly defined there in verse 6 about the Gentiles and the divine intention for them to be fellow heirs, partakers of the promise of Christ, members of the same body. 
here, uh, Paul takes a step back, and he's going to talk about how this wasn't always known, that it was uh, a mystery hidden for ages, he says in verse 9. And so we've already talked about he's a minister according to God's gift, verse 7, which was given me by the power of his, uh, working of his power. To me, verse 8, though I am the very least, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul emphasizes here, notice, all the saints, right? All the saints. The church at large, not only in Ephesus, but anywhere. Anywhere you find saints. And Paul says he identifies himself as the very least of all the saints. I don't think this is false humility on Paul's part. I think instead this is uh, Paul's recognition that none of us has cause to boast, has any reason to pop our collar and walk around like we're God's gift to the church. One writer put it this way, the tragic fact in churches is that there are so many who are more concerned with their own honor and prestige than with the honor and prestige of Jesus Christ, and who are more concerned that they should be noticed than that Christ should be seen. To which I say, please hear Paul on this. He calls himself the least, and again, there's there's no false deprecation here. He really means this. He truly viewed himself as the least. You see, when you adopt your role as a servant, as a slave, as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, well, then naturally you become the least. You become the last with the promise that the last shall be first. He says, by the way, that this grace was given to him to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's beyond comprehension. It's unfathomable how rich Christ is uh, in, in grace and mercy and all those different things. And then also, verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So um, this, this mystery, it was inaccessible to just anybody and everyone. Now, Paul says, I'm making it known to everybody. Everyone is going to hear about this, and that's a model for us as well, that we are to make this known to everyone. We preach prolifically uh, the gospel to everyone. Um, it was hidden for ages in God, God who created all things. Notice that. Uh, Paul here emphasizes once again that God is, the thing we have in common with everybody is He is our creator. We stress this in Bible class this morning that a loving creator continually blesses us. That he sends the rain on the just and the unjust, and he causes his sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. That we all have access to what has historically been called common grace. Uh, and that is, you know, God sends rain, and he provides fruitful seasons and those sorts of things. But here, there is this, uh, this mystery that was hidden for ages. And we need to make sure that we have a proper view of this, and you, you should connect this with what Paul says at the end of, say, Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, 
Here's how Paul concludes the letter to the Romans. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And I, I stress this because the gospel was a sacred secret that was known only to the mind, known fully to the mind of the eternal God. It's something that humans could have never figured out on their own. God had to reveal it, in other words. And, and the very notion that God condescended, emptied himself, took on human nature, dwelt within his own broken creation, broken because of sin that humans had committed, you see, took on the likeness of sinful flesh, as Paul says in Romans 8, that he lived perfect, sinless life that we could never live. He died on, a, on the cross for our sins in our place, died that ignoble death on the cross, and then was buried, raised for our justification, His blood shed for our salvation. This is a truth that only God could reveal in the time that He chose and in the manner in which he deemed right. You see, the Proverbs say in Proverbs 25, verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal things. And we humans, we creatures think that we are entitled to every thought that God has ever thought, as if we could even comprehend all of that, you see. And then, and then others would question, well, why did he wait? That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right that God would keep secrets from us for so long. Why not reveal everything all at once at the beginning? First of all, who do you think you are, oh person, oh human, right? But that God would be silent is not what is surprising. What ought to surprise us and astonish us to no end is that God would speak and reveal anything to us unworthy creatures. That's what ought to surprise us. And yet he does, and he has, and he's communicated with clarity and also with wisdom. Right? Paul's going to talk about the manifold wisdom of God. Paul, at the end of Romans, calls him the only wise God. You've got to keep that in mind, too, that this was all according to the wisdom of the infinite and holy God. So neither his revelation of this mystery nor the wise methods that he chose in revealing this mystery, nor the wise ways in which he has revealed this mystery, nor the amount of information that he has chosen to reveal, none of that is open to scrutiny by us mere mortals. And so, through the church, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God, here's the purpose, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to all human beings, yeah, that's part of our mission and calling as a church is to preach the gospel to all creation. But notice Paul here, he doesn't key in on that in this verse. This verse, special attention is drawn to the fact that we are making known the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities 
in the heavenly places. Elsewhere, Peter will talk about how even angels long to look into these things, that they are on tiptoes, as it were, looking and seeing what God is doing in His creation with us through the gospel. Again, this is, this is part of that um, staggering aspect of this, that God would use us frail creatures of the dust to put on display His manifold wisdom. It, the, the, the wisdom that is, um, the word here has to do with like a, like a diamond, right? If you take a diamond and, and the light shines through it and you get all those different colors that shine through, right? That's the idea here of God's wisdom that, that when, when the light is, sh- is shown through, you see all the different aspects of God's wisdom, all the different colors and hues of God's wisdom that's put on display in each one of us, and that wisdom is communicating something to beings that are, are more intelligent than we are. They've been on the scene ever since the beginning, and uh, there's evidence to suggest they were there before the beginning, since they were singing when God created everything. And that they're learning something about this holy God that we serve through us and, and through Christ in us. Again, it's just, it's, well, it's more than, than words can express. Um, we also know from elsewhere, Hebrews chapter 2, when Christ came, Christ didn't come to help angels. He came to help humans, to help us. And so, it is according to verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized, he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and Christ did accomplish the mission that the Father sent him into the world to accomplish. This is why on the cross, one of the last sayings of Christ on the cross, it is almost done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do 99% of it. I'm going to leave some of it undone for the rest of y'all. No. It is finished. He a hundred percent. He accomplishes it. He realizes it. And by the way, if any bit of it was left up to us, mission failure. Because that's what we that's what we provide to all this is our own sinfulness, our own weakness, our own failure. It is finished. It's accomplished. It's realized. This eternal purpose. God didn't leave anything to, to chance. The purpose that was purposed before time began. In eternity, he realized it in Christ Jesus on the cross, in time, space, and history. In other words, God sent God into the world to accomplish God's eternal purpose. It's all of God. He did all of it. It's been realized here. But notice, ready for the blessings? God does all this so that in in Christ, that's the in whom here in verse 12, in whom we... Christians, that's who's under discussion here, we have boldness and access with confidence. (coughs) Excuse me. Here is, you want to talk about gifts, gifts of grace. Access here, the word that's used here, it's a word that is used concerning the, the high priest. 
having access to the most holy place in the temple. We've talked about this before. Only the high priest, one time a year, could go into the most holy, the holy of holies, in order to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, which was above the Ark of the Covenant. So when God looked down from heaven, he would see the blood, and he wouldn't bring his wrath against the people. Atonement was made. All that, by the way, looked forward to the cross. Right? Prospect and promise, and now realized in Christ. We are the ones who look backward, you see. But Paul says, we have access. We have what only a select few had during the Old Covenant. You realize, every last one of us, we, have, we can go into the Holy of Holies. We can go with boldness and confidence into the very presence of God, to the throne of grace. You see, when we need help, when we need grace, when we need blessings from God, we don't have to go through some human mediator. We have Christ, and it's in Christ that we can go to the Father at any time with boldness, freedom to speak, freedom to share anything and everything that's on our hearts. And then also with confidence, confidence that, that we'll be heard by our Father. You see, what Christ did on the cross, that's what um, brings about our present reality of prayer. Talking, communing with God in prayer with boldness and with confidence. And notice here also, it's in Christ that we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Faith is that golden cord that ties us to Christ, as it were. That, 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 that's, that's, the, that's the golden ribbon around this whole gift is our faith. Um, and so, yes, through, through faith, it is faith that makes it possible for us to have this access to God and the confidence of being heard. So, Paul has a personal note here. I ask that you not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And, and for us, um, and I, I don't know about you, but um, I, I hear about the stuff that our brothers and our sisters have to endure the world over. We, we've got it so good here, you know. I tell my boys all the time, you won the lottery of life just by virtue of the fact that you were born in this country at this time. We have no, I, no comprehension of all the blessings that we have just by virtue of the fact that we live in the time in which we live in the place in which we live. If you were born at any other time, <laughs> if you were born in any other place, and our brothers and our sisters today that are enduring imprisonment and trial, they're being beaten, they're being tortured for Christ, I think about people who, because of suffering in the world, Christians even, they lose their faith. They, they decide agnosticism or even outright atheism is a better answer somehow to the suffering in this world. Paul says, I ask, don't lose heart. And by the way, what, what, what can we do, right? Because that's, that's the other 
side of this coin is, man, I hear about what my brothers and sisters are going through my, in China, in the Middle East, or elsewhere. What can I do? What can we do? Should we lobby Washington to urge the release of these political prisoners immediately? Should we sign petitions to be hand-delivered to respective ambassadors of the countries where these brothers are held? Should we pray for their release? Or maybe we can take a page out of Paul's book. We'll get to chapter 6 eventually, but just briefly. Chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. We are to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for who? All the saints, your, your brothers and sisters that you hear about on foreign soil who are enduring these things. Pray for them and also for me. Pray what, Paul? Pray for speedy release, a fair trial. Pray for me also that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. All Paul wanted from these brethren was that they pray that he would have the boldness to speak. There's all kinds of, by the way, linguistic connections here. Boldness, mystery of the gospel. That's, that's related to what we've been talking about here in chapter 3. But all Paul wanted was the boldness to speak when opportunity presented itself. I've said it before. I don't know how long it will be until we're all in the gulag as well because of our faith in Christ. I don't think it's a matter of if, but a matter of when. Do not lose heart, brothers and sisters. Do not lose heart for the suffering. It's for your glory. And it's for the glory of Christ as well. God's immeasurable love for the Gentiles. God's immeasurable love for us. But also, Paul's ability to rejoice in suffering for Christ. All of these things are connected and, and all of human history has been leading to the accomplishment of God's eternal purpose in Christ. From Adam to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses, the nation of Israel, to all the prophets, to the, to the New Testament prophets as well, to the apostles, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, all of them, and of course Christ. All of it is making known the mystery of God's will from one degree to another, and then finally the full realization as indeed the sun rises and shines light on the enlightenment of all of the mystery of God. And now, here we are, on the grand stage of human history, brothers and sisters. The angels themselves, straining, on tiptoe, as it were, to see how's God going to glorify Himself in, in David, in Joan, right? So I leave you with a question. Are they seeing the manifold wisdom of God in you, as you live out your part in the grand drama of God's story. Are they seeing that? And I leave you to ponder that and to answer that in your own heart of hearts. Let's commit this to prayer. God, you alone are wise. 
All your ways and works are marked by wisdom. We acknowledge that all wisdom comes from you. The fear of you is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, and that your wisdom, because of who you are, is the eternal God. It is eternal, and it is infinite. It knows no bounds. Your thoughts are so deep, and we can never plumb the depths of your wisdom. May we put our faith and our trust in Christ, the revelation of your wisdom. May we always look to you, though we may not comprehend and understand everything. Indeed, because of our limitations and our our shortcomings and our failings, we will never fully understand. May we look to you as indeed the only wise God, to whom belongs honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What God desires from us, my friends, my brothers and sisters, is not a mystery. We're not sitting here with some kind of Rubik's Cube, you know, type thing, trying to figure out what God wants. He's, He's clearly revealed in here, my friend, that in order to put you in right relationship with Him, that He calls you to turn away from sin, to trust in Jesus Christ, to confess Christ as Lord, to be obedient in baptism, where you are immersed in water, all your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you are raised to live new life with God. Again, no mystery, just a very clear calling to your obedience. In a moment, Russ is going to lead us in a song that's designed to encourage you to become a Christian this morning if you have not uh, done so in the past. Many of us, most of us, we've done that. Again, brothers and sisters, we know it's not a mystery what God requires of us. He desires for us to live life with Him in a way that honors Him in all things and in all ways. But as you consider your walk, is there some area where you've not been fully submitted to Christ? Is there some action, attitude, behavior that you know it's not becoming of a Christian and you need the help that comes from God in overcoming it and the prayers of your brothers and sisters to help you in overcoming this? Well, you know when Russ leads us in in this song, it's designed to encourage you as well to come forward and express these things, share these things that are on your heart, and we'll surround you with love, lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. Maybe uh, it's uh, something of a personal nature. You want a private setting. One of our shepherds can meet you in the conference room. Make way to the conference room. They'll do the same thing there that we'll do here. Surround you with love and lift you up in prayer as you unburden your heart before the throne of grace. Maybe it's uh, unrelated to something we've been talking about specifically this morning, but something that's been weighing upon your heart. Maybe it could be something physical or spiritual or emotional, mental, what have you. Well, the invitation is open for you as well. But the lesson is yours. Won't you come right now while we stand and as we sing?